Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Joining us to analyze the latest market actions is Ryan Huang. Good morning, Ryan. How was your weekend? It was great because it's a long weekend, so mm. we got up to a lot of stuff, including cycling around, checking out some shows, and just recharging. How about you, Dan? What did you get up to? Good. I had a very restful weekend. I did nothing much, actually. <laughs> it was a good break, wait, long wait. break for me. You're going <laughs> on another break soon, right? Yes, I am this weekend. So it's going to be another long weekend another for me. Another break. Damn. Yeah. Hi. How was the Eyelights, by the way? You went for uh, that? Which one? Eyelights Festival. Eyelights, no. That's going to be on to-do list for later on. Uh, maybe this weekend. We'll see. Ah, I see. Okay, all right. Anyways, let's take it back to the markets. And last Friday's rally came as investors cheered May's remarkable jobs report and the Senate passing the debt limit bill. Now, before we get into the US debt ceiling details, Ryan, walk us through the numbers of the US non-fund payrolls and what exactly are investors cheering about? Yeah, so it's a bit of a mixed bag here. So let's start with the good news here. And you've got jobs being created. So we are looking at payrolls in the public and private sectors for May, increasing by 339,000. So that's that's better than the 190,000 based on consensus expectations. It also is the 29th straight month of positive job growth. So what recession, right? When you look at these numbers being uh, churned out Mm. by the US economy. Okay, so let's look at the other side of the equation. So here is where it gets a bit gloomier. The unemployment rate rose to 3.7% in May. This is higher than the expectations of 3.5%. And this, even though the labor force participation rate was unchanged, the jobless rate here, 3.7%, is the highest since October 2022. Though it is also near the lowest since 1969. So it's mm. a very mixed picture here when you look at the jobs market, but all in. It does show some comfort for those who were hoping or betting for the US Federal Reserve to hit the pause button in June, in two weeks' time, mm. because there is some signs, there are some signs of the US jobs market slowing down right. to some extent. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and despite the big job gains, the unemployment rate increased due in large part to a sharp decline of 369,000 in self-employment and overall drop of 310,000 counted as employed in the household survey. Now, Ryan, let's just send our attention over to the US debt ceiling drama. And the month-long drama has finally reached its finale after President Joe Biden last Saturday he signed into a law, into law a bill that suspends the debt limit and imposes caps on government spending that's narrowly avoiding a catastrophic economic default. And this has given the Treasury Department the green light to resume new net new debt issuance after months of disruption. But it's not all good news because the Bank of America has estimated that the issuance wave could have the same economic impact as the quarter point interest rate hike by the Federal Reserve. Tell us more, Ryan. Yeah, so the green light has come. You've got a deal reached. And that green light is for bonds to be issued by the Treasury to raise money to pay its bills. So mm. it is going to be a big wave of bonds being issued. So that's why Bank of America, among other market watchers, are keeping a very close eye on this because when you have bonds coming into the market, it has to 
attract money from somewhere, drain mm. liquidity, for example, from the stock market or where else people might be investing in, and they might go into bonds. So that could have what they describe as a very similar impact to raising rates, which will tighten, tighten the liquidity in the markets, tighten financial conditions for some sectors. So in effect, it could have the same consequences, so to speak, as hiking rates. So it could also be a factor that FM, the FMC could uh, weigh as they decide whether or not to hit the pause button because some of the work already has been done by mm. Joe Biden and his administration. Right. Would you say that the, you know, the decision to sign in a law, a bill that suspends the debt limit would be the battle of the evil in this case? I suppose it had to be done. And now the question here, we are talking about $1 trillion at least in new securities. Mm. How that's going to be placed or paced out? Will it all be front-loaded? You know, what sort of chunky sizes are we looking at for three months, six months bill offerings? Now, that's going to be the next question that will have an impact on how much of an impact it will have on stock markets. Yeah, I think that's good that it's good that at least they are able to ease the current uh, confidence and, and fears, I mean, for investors in the markets. Anyways, let's now talk about, you know, the overall outlook and the broader markets that uh, we're seeing uh, performing the past two weeks. And, you know, since Biden signed the Fiscal Responsibility Act, you know, it's put a rest in an, for, an uncomplete, for a completely unnecessary month of worrying about whether the U.S. will fall into default on its debt. And, you know, the outstanding number of new jobs added in May suggests that the labour market is still robust, which might add to inflationary pressures. But now, you know, we take a, a broader look at the picture. One chief equity strategist is now saying that the so-called, quote-unquote, Goldilocks has entered the house. Now, Ryan, what exactly is this Goldilocks effect? And, you know, what does it mean in the, in the context of a stock market? And does this suggest good news for us? It does suggest that things are not too hot, not too cold. So that's where he's coming from when mm. he described it as a Goldilocks um, phase right now. So we've got a couple of okay encouraging data and we talked about the US jobs data coming through. Jobs are still being created. On the other hand, we've got wages starting to moderate. We've got also employment starting to inch up slowly. So that kind of balances it off. So it's not too hot, not too cold on that front. And you have OPEC sticking to that expectations that they will continue to cut rather than return production supply to the market. So that is a factor that will prop up oil prices and also, in some sense, slow down the economy. You also have the debt ceiling situation. That has reached a conclusion. Um, then if you look at the VIX index, that is now at a reading of around 14 to 15, which is uh, a low of, I think, in the last two years. Mm. So that shows some, in some fashion, not a lot of jitters in the markets. Yeah. So all in, you have a very sweet spot for markets right now, not a lot to weigh on it, and maybe just enough to keep it going. Yeah, markets indeed were in a celebratory mood for good reasons, of course, that were announced last week. And it's like what you've mentioned, the volatility index dropped to 14.6%. 
lowest in two years, reflecting confidence back in the major indexes. Now let's turn our attention over to the oil sector where we are seeing news of Saudi Arabia making an extra 1 million barrel a day oil supply cut in July, taking its production to the lowest level for several years after a slight in crude prices. And that actually marks the, the, the second time after the previous run of curbs, which was agreed just two months ago, that has failed to deliver a sustained price rally. Ryan, did this come as a surprise? And walk us through the details. Yeah, it did come as a surprise for many market watchers and that's being reflected in the reaction in prices so far this morning, which mm. is a bounce. So prices of oil up around $2 in some cases. So that's the reaction. And when you look at the thinking behind the cut, latest cut by Saudi Arabia, they are taking on one million barrels a day in terms of additional cuts. And it's worth noting, this is a lot to do with politics, mm. uh, where you have the UAE actually um, trying to produce more. And when you produce more and sell more, you of course can make more money. Yeah. Um, the other part of the equation is Russia. They have made no commitment to cut upward deeper. But the underlying factor here is if you cut prices or you cut production, it will support prices. And that's going to be beneficial for many of these oil producers, which is what Saudi Arabia is trying to do to what they call stabilize prices. So in effect, Saudi Arabia is taking one for the team by cutting one million barrels a day. And we talked about that earlier cut. So this is on top of the earlier cut, mm. the changing quota not too long ago, within the last one or two months. So already they are making another preemptive move so soon. And this, perhaps in view of what they are seeing in other parts of the market, for example, China, that demand softer than they expected. So that's something they might have considered. Um, also, the quota for many of these uh, OPEC Plus members mm-hmm. uh, is something they were also factoring in. Many of these members have not been too happy to cut production um, because of various reasons, among them, a drop in potential revenue and also mm. potential revenue in future. They did not want their limits to be cut in case they need to ramp it up in future. Mm. And when you have lower limits as well, it will, in some sense, dampen the attractiveness of investing in the country or the oil markets there. Mm. So they want their cuts or their quotas to remain as it is rather than cut it. So Saudi Arabia is really taking an important step for OPEC Plus by just shouldering the entire brunt of the one million barrel a day cut. Yeah, certainly, as well as, you know, how it might undermine the attractiveness to foreign investors. Unfortunately, a bitter political pill for them to swallow. And that's something that we're going to have to watch uh, closely as it develops over the next few years. In fact, the minister has also said that it's repeatedly sought to hurt bearish oil speculators, warning them to, quote-unquote, watch out in the build-up to the Sunday's meeting. So, anyways... Let's now play a game of up or down. And if you're regular on the show, you'd be familiar with this. I'll pick a stock or a topic and you'll guess whether it's going to be an up or a down. Ryan, are you ready? Let's go. First on the list, we've got Airbus. All right, Airbus, the playmaker, the European playmaker, is enough for me. And this as it sees a potential deal with India's Indigo. So this is good news for future business. 
Hmm, interesting. I might go with a different one for this because it's predicting a supply crunch with white bodies as travel rebounds. So I'm going to go with a down for Airbus. Next on the list, we've got the US dollar. All right, so this is going to be an up for me. The dollar is set to go higher after getting their payrolls data boosts that it um, saw last Friday where jobs were created um, to the tune of 339,000 which far outstripped the 190,000 so this is going to help support the US dollar yeah certainly good news here for the US dollar I'm going with an up the dollar in fact climbed about 0.8% against the yen during the week and it's on track for its largest weekly percentage rise since mid-May next on the list we've got India's economic outlook Okay, looking at India, JP Morgan is raising its outlook for the country, but still remaining cautious over global headwinds. Mm. So that forecast for India's economy is for 5% to 5.5% growth this year. Yeah, this is some good news here in uh, in Asia. We JP Morgan is increasing from 5 to 5%, you know, this follows the latest gross domestic product data which showed that the Indian economy accelerated 6.1% in the January to March quarter, an increase from 4.5%. And it's also said that, you know, the Southeast Asian nation's strong growth was driven by a pickup in domestic demand for goods and services as well as strong imports. Next, let's take it back home. We've got ARAH Hospitality Trust. All right, ARA is going to be an up. So they are keeping an eye on what's called pleasure. This is the business plus leisure segment of travelers. So that is their new focus in terms of where growth is coming from. Riding a growing wave of leisure travellers. Let's go with an up for ARA Hospitality Trust. Last on the list, we've got Retail S-Reads. Okay, Retail S-Reads is going to be an up for me because they were the top performers in May. So this saw the month of May seeing the IH S-Read Index declining 3%. And this is reversing its 0.6% gains in April. So... On a relative basis, they seem to be doing well. Mm, yeah. On a year-to-date basis, it's like what you've mentioned, the IHS REIT index remained in the green with about 1.8% total returns, outpacing the STI index's 0.3% declines. And in terms of net fund, net fund flows over the month, retail investors bought over $140 million worth of S-REITs, while institutional investors net sold $85 million of the sector. I'm going to go with an up for retail S-REITs. Thank you so much, Ryan, for this comprehensive breakdown. Now, before I let you go, Ryan, are you a Spidey fan? I am okay with Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Not a biggest fan, are you? I am actually a big Spider-Man fan. Uh, what about yourself? What, what's your favorite superhero? Uh, favorite superhero would be Batman. Batman, you know, like huh? a darker type of um, characters. But it's a bit too uh, family these days. Yeah, DC movies. I don't know if it's very friend- family friendly. Well, anyways, the reason why I brought it up is because Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, it opens 
to $120.5 million. And that's the second highest debut of 2023. Now, do you think this might be the clear winner of this year, the movie, I mean? Yeah, this is in the US. So, still behind Super Mario Bros. Mm. Mm, I guess it's on the right track. Um, everyone's hungry for these superhero movies these days. Yeah. And Spider-Man is a, bri- uh, is a big franchise. Mm-hmm. And... It's going to pull in the kids. And this is, I think, all about timing as well. It's the holidays. So I'm sure that's going to be a big crowd. Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed that I didn't catch it the moment it opened here in Singapore. But, you know, it's like uh, what if what it's been reported so far, it's able to capture the younger audience beyond the core fans, you know, of uh, of live action PG-13 films. And, you know, it's estimated to have pulled in more than 9 million moviegoers over the weekend. And tickets for the film represented about 56% of all foot traffic to theatres from Thursday through Sunday. This is definitely one to watch. I'm actually quite excited to watch this one. What about you, Ryan? Have any plans to watch maybe this weekend? Nah, I'll give it a pass. I am going to save my money for it to hit the streaming services. Oh man, Ryan, the streaming services. Anyways, thank you so much again, Ryan, for this great market view breakdown. We're going to catch you again tomorrow. Continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.